Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch! Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. Today we've got Peter Johnson, John Farben, Dan Watkins, and I'm Hazel Burton. On the podcast today, Film Buff or Film Bluff is back. We've also got an in-depth spoilery discussion of Infinity War. We've got a brand new quiz for you. So Dan and John are going to take on their specialist subjects in what we're calling something like Nerdery Masterminds, something like that, Nerdery of the Master... Master, master of the Nerdery Minds. Master of the Nerdery Universe. Anyway, it's it's a quiz. I'm He-Man, Danny <laughs> Shiva. And <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to kick off the show, as we normally do, with some nerd recommendations. So, who would like to go first and tell the pod world what they have been enjoying recently? I don't know if by the time this episode is released whether this will still be in cinemas, but if it is... I recommend very highly going to see A Quiet Place. I don't know if anybody around the nerd table has seen it yet. Not yet. I do. I've heard it's good though. It is extremely good and I do recommend the cinema experience for it just because within the room at least you've got a soundproof-ish experience. You don't have any distractions and that's really good for the film because every tiny little sound matters. And every sound you make becomes incredibly apparent in that cinema. I just don't know how it'll translate if, say, you live by a roadside and you've got cars going up and down, or the phone rings halfway through. But in the cinema, it's so completely immersive. It starts about 90 days after some strange creatures have arrived on Earth and kill by sound. If you make a noise, they can hear you and they will kill you. And the film focuses on a family who have learnt to adapt very quickly to this new world because their daughter is deaf. So they can already communicate in sign language. They are clever enough and perceptive enough to be able to cover their tracks with sand so they don't make noise. They know how to be extremely quiet. But every slight little noise they make will be picked up on. And so the tension is incredibly high right from the off and it doesn't let up for the entire film. There are things that happen where you really need to make a noise, and you absolutely can't, because your death will be seconds away. And watching it in that cinema environment is just... I, my nails have not yet grown back. It's <laughs> nerve-shredding. And every rustle of a popcorn packet, every cough from somebody in the audience, it just evaporates. The normal noise you get in a cinema just goes away because everybody is so on the edge of their seat desperate not to make a noise because they're just engrossed and immersed in the world of the film. Uh, John Krasinski directs it and also stars. Mm -hmm. Absolutely excellent. Um, the girl who plays their daughter, I believe the actor is deaf as well, and she's very, very good in it. And Emily Blunt is excellent as well. She's got a lot of drama for her character that she has to put up with in this world. And yeah, you want these characters to make it through alive. There must be some people who've gone to showings, though, where people just don't shut up. And that must be extremely annoying, mustn't it? Yeah, I think, it's, I think it would probably be the kind of environment where if that happened, you would get shushed mm -hmm. by the rest of the audience. The one that we went to, some people had come in with snacks, and you saw them very quickly as the film started to go, 
mm, not today. Um, and you realise right from the off that this is not going to be a film where there's loud bangs and noises and things like that. You get a shock, you get a fright just from a basic sound effect like somebody creaking on a step. Yeah. And if it doesn't at least get nominated for a sound design Oscar, I would be amazed. Is there a music soundtrack to it? Like, is, there, is there an orchestral score or is it actual silence or near silence for most of the film? There's a little bit of a score, but it works very well within the, the background atmospherics of it. The, the people who made the score, I think I read an interview with Krasinski, they came to the set a lot of times and they captured the kind of sounds that were in the environment. Mm. So the family live in a farmhouse. So they recorded things like insect noises or grass swaying and that inspired the musical score. So it never intrudes on the atmosphere of the film. From a sound perspective, it's incredibly well done. Does it start noisy and then go quiet or is it quiet from the off? Quiet from the off. You start on, I think, day 89 or 90. So you don't get to see a prologue of Mm. the stuff happening, which I really like. You pick up bits and pieces of what's gone on through abandoned newspapers scattered on a pavement. The dad of the family has made a little notice board where he's trying to work on his daughter's hearing aids. And he's written little notes to himself with what they know about these creatures and what they can do to avoid them. So you don't get a 10-minute cold open of Mm. everybody going about their normal business and then suddenly catastrophe. You're right in there. There's an act in the first 10 minutes or so of the film that establishes these are the stakes. Mm. This is what you have got to live or not live for in this world. Even the opening scenes, they have three kids and the youngest's only four or five and sees a toy rocket and he wants to play with it. But it's one of those ones that lights up and makes a noise. And his sister acts so quickly to stop him from turning that toy on. You know immediately if he did that, they'd have all gone. So you you pick it up very quickly. They don't have to spell it out for you, but there are some helpful hints around to help. There was some talk of it being part of the Cloverfield world of films. Whether they changed their mind upon its release or not, I don't know. Did it feel like that? I'm so glad it wasn't. Mm. I suppose the creature's... The little glimpses you see of them are not dissimilar to Cloverfield in that they seem to be these strange monsters with long spindly legs and quite thin bodies. That's about as close as it is. I think if this had been a Cloverfield-related film, especially after the Cloverfield abomination of January, (laughs) that would have killed it dead. I wish they'd retitle it that. Yeah. Yeah. J.J. Abrams has recently said that this other one, Overlord, is not a Cloverfield film. And that could be typical JJ, no, it's not, no, it's not. Actually, yes, it is. Yeah. But I think they might be giving Cloverfield a break. This one works really well as its own thing. It was only really a marketing device anyway. Yeah. I think it would have given it unnecessary baggage. But The Quiet Place seems to have done very, very well in that little period. After Black Panther left the cinemas, but before Infinity War got there, it managed to sneak in and by all accounts has been a really big success, which is nice. So that's my recommendation. If it's still showing at a cinema near any of you, go and see it there. If not, make sure your living room or bedroom or wherever you watch your films is quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My recommendation, uh, so you know on the last episode, Dan recommended another podcast. 
I'm going to follow suit. <laughs> Turned out. <laughs> now, my recommendation is the West Wing Weekly podcast. And there, there is a reason for that. So this is an episode by episode discussion of the greatest TV show ever made, The West Wing. And they've just come to the end of season four, which is the last episode that Aaron Sorkin was involved in before he kind of famously departed. So they've been doing lots of live shows across Europe and across America. And if you're a fan of The West Wing, it's an absolute must. It's hosted by Rujik Hire, who is a basically an uber fan of The West Wing and an actor in his own right. And Joshua Molina, who stars as Will, he came in in season four. It's just absolutely wonderful. They have a lot of guest stars on the show, um, which includes actors, includes behind the scenes crew, and it also includes actual real life politicians from the past and present. So if the subject of the show is is topical or relevant, then they get on like, you know, Obama's press secretary or you know, in a season three episode, they got on uh, Justin Trudeau because it was a episode about Canada Day and Donna had temporarily become Canadian because of some borders being moved. And that was amazing. And most of the main actors like Richard Schiff, Bradley Whitford, uh, Alison Janney have appeared on the show. Um, Martin Sheen's had an episode dedicated to himself, um, <laughs> which is great. Uh, very, very sadly, um, John Spencer obviously couldn't be part of the show because he died in real life at the end of season seven. But they did manage to find some unaired interview footage with him. Um, I'm getting a bit choked up, actually. Uh, they, met, they managed to find some uh, interview footage with him. Um, and he is, it, it's really worth a listen to because he is the most generous actor a really wonderful man and he just talks about how he wanted to do justice to the wonderful words that Aaron Sorkin gave him and give his fellow actors something to to bounce off I'm getting a bit choked up because John Spence is just the most wonderful man so yeah if you I know there's like not many people like me that are like incredible I watch obsessed I watch the West Wing probably every week but um they all the whole run <laughs> well, just a random episode. <laughs> I always watch the episode where they talk about it on the show, um, just so I can, I know exactly what they're talking about. Um, but I know that I kind of watch it even more now because of what's going on in real life. So, and they they don't shy away from that. They they do talk about President Trump's decisions and um, what the effects are for for America and um, the world itself. And that's why they get kind of current politicians on to talk about that. So it's a really kind of interesting political discussion as well as on the backdrop of a, a wonderful show. But it's also, it's not a, a fan love letter. You know, some, some aspects of the show doesn't hold up in 2018. There's, you know, there's a bit of sexism in there and they call them out on that. And, and whenever a line doesn't land, they kind of say, you know what, that, that didn't affect me as much as it could have done. So it's not a love letter that's kind of everything is wonderful. It's um, a, a proper kind of review of the show. Yeah, so that's my recommendation. Um, give the Westwood Weekly podcast a listen. So when you're out and about, when you're going for a walk, stick the podcast on. Um, I've not seen an awful lot since the last time we got together. So my recommendation uh, this week is not to watch Titanic 2. <laughs> <laughs> which I came in from the pub and it was there on the front page of Amazon Prime, which um, it's increasingly full of shite, isn't it? Does anyone else have Amazon Prime? We, yes. we signed up for it this morning before I left for this podcast <laughs> recording. Have you seen things like the videos for dogs and videos yeah. for cats? Uh, apparently the, the reason behind this is now that anybody can upload their video to Amazon Prime. 
and get some money for streaming. Yeah, I think you get 0.04 pence per hour of streaming video. So it's basically getting filled with YouTube videos and the like. Is this why Legend of the Naked Ghost appeared when we signed up this morning? No, that's because that's your favourite film. <laughs> Rumbled. Um, so I, I came in from the pub. It was about midnight. Um, we were going to watch Westworld Season 2, but we thought that might be a bit hard going. So I said I watched Titanic 2, and it was possibly one of the, the worst mistakes of my life. <laughs> Probably made more sense than Westworld Season 2 so far, though. Uh, well. Basically, the, the the plot of Titanic two is it's a it's the hundredth anniversary of the original Titanic, so they decide to celebrate by building another Titanic, and taking it on the same journey. But this Titanic has been iceberg proofed at the front. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of know where this is going, don't you? Just in case it hits another iceberg. What they don't count is for a glacier to collapse at the other side of the world, for there then to be a tsunami. That sends a iceberg Oof. flying into the side of the new Titanic. Well, it's just not iceberg proof. Which is not no, they only iceberg proof the front. Oh. So so is this a true story? It's a true story. <laughs> um the boat starts to sink and uh they put everybody on lifeboats and then for some reason the middle of the boat explodes. Um <laughs> and then just as this is coming to what you think is the exciting conclusion, what's worse than one iceberg hitting a Titanic? Two, Two icebergs. Iceberg. Two icebergs. <laughs> yes, there's another tsunami. Another <laughs> iceberg hits the other side of the ship, flipping it upside down. This is all done with special effects that look like they were done on a, a Commodore Amiga, <laughs> circa Babylon 5 era. Um, flips it upside down, kills all the people on the lifeboats. And luckily, the man who designed the Titanic is there. He's also the hero of the film, the writer of the film, <sighs> the director of the film. Every shot, he seems to have two women on each arm. James Cameron's really gone downhill there. <laughs> yeah. uh, my girlfriend described it as, as if someone had held James Cameron down and done a shit on his face. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the idea of the guy who designed it going on the ship isn't that uncommon. I've got a friend who's a naval architect and designs nuclear submarines. Does and the iceberg proof them? <laughs> They make the architects who design it go on the maiden voyage of the ship. <laughs> Just to make them extra careful when they design it. It focuses the mind, I'm sure. I imagine so. But it's okay, because you have an idea for Titanic 3, don't you, John? Yes, Titanic Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> What's worse than an iceberg? An iceberg and a shark. Mm. Shark-tanic. <laughs> Coming to a cinema near you in 2027. Or maybe not. I'd like to recommend Santa Clarita Diet. Has anyone watched that? This is the Drew Barrymore? It is, yeah, yeah. On it, Netflix? It's, yes, it's on Netflix. Uh, it's a comedy about a married couple of suburban real estate agents and how they cope when the wife becomes a zombie. Even those who usually can't stand Drew Barrymore, which I know is true of your girlfriend, John, uh, <laughs> will probably enjoy it. It's very funny and sweet, and Timothy Oliphant is just adorable as the husband. He consistently walks away with every scene he's in and is just a gorgeous man in many ways. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Do you need a moment, Peter? Timothy <laughs> Olive Fantastic. Here we go. Do we need to make some kind of tree? tree. <laughs> <laughs> There's a strong supporting cast of their practical tomboyish daughter and a nerdish boy next door who obviously dotes on her. Uh, a recurring role for Nathan Fillion from Firefly. Who's the Another first... tree worth climbing. 
he's the first person she kills, but he returns as a disembodied head through the second series. The plot's usually about hiding one murdered body or another from the cops they have as neighbours, coping with bits of flesh falling off Drew, or trying to discover how she was infected to prevent it spreading. But don't shy away from the tougher moral questions like, is it okay to murder and eat someone if they're Nazis? <laughs> what makes the show is a lightness of heart and tone. You always want them to get away with it, despite the fact she's murdering and eating a few people. There's two 10-episode seasons available so far, and uh, another one's been ordered for next year. It's very funny, very enjoyable. It's not earth-changing, but um, it's entertaining. Cool. I think that trope of the intelligent zombie and having to hide the victims and stuff has been done mm-hmm. a few times before. I think Return of the Living Dead 3 has a similar premise, mm-hmm. but goes in a, a very different, darker direction with it. Obviously, at the moment, there are other series like iZombie as well, yeah. which have sort of sympathetic zombies. Warm Bodies was another one, wasn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. I, like, I like that, mainly because I like Nicholas Holt. This is getting weird. <laughs> but again, he's, he's... There's a whole orchard now. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's time for Film Buff or Film Bluff. So what happens here is that all of us nerds have got three pieces of entertainment trivia, but we have made one of them up. So two genuine pieces and one bluff. So we've got to work out which one we have bluffed. Dan, do you want to go first? I will go first. Uh, My film buff or film bluff is to do with the film connections of the boss, Bruce Springsteen. Okay. So here are three statements relating to... Springsteen's music in relation to films rather than his film appearances because he's only had one, I think. What is his one film appearance? Um, As an actor, it's High Fidelity. Mm. Of course, yeah. But he was in a Netflix series called Lilyhammer, which starred his bandmate Steve Steve Van Van Zandt. So this is more about uh, Springsteen's songs and their film connections. So, A. Springsteen won his Oscar for Streets of Philadelphia from Philadelphia. It's been covered many times in various genres, including Gregorian chanting. B. Springsteen wrote The Wrestler from The Wrestler because he was friends with the film's star Mickey Rourke. Because of their friendship, Springsteen charged director Darren Aronofsky just one dollar to use the song in the film. And C. Springsteen's video for Dancing in the Dark is famous for featuring Courtney Cox in a starring role, but another big name was behind the camera, Director Brian De Palma, better known for Carrie and Scarface. Mm. There's not much leaping out as obviously untrue out of those. No, I would love to hear, could we have a little sample of the Gregorian chant version of Philadelphia? If this turns out to be true, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like he knows he doesn't have to do it. Um, yes. I think the $1 thing is true. I think I might have heard that before. He's only paid $1 for the wrestler. I can't imagine Bruce Springsteen and Mickey Rourke being friends because mm. Bruce Springsteen seems like a nice down-to-earth fella and Mickey Rourke is not nice. <laughs> so. mm. I guess it could be someone else. Mm. Dan's being tricksy. I am being tricksy. <laughs> <laughs> Brian De Palma behind the camera for Dancing in the Dark sounds true. I I don't think it does. Do we know any other videos that De Palma's directed, like music videos? Brian De Palma is very visually innovative, and I imagine if Brian De Palma directed a music video, he would do something more interesting than... It's just a concert, ...or Monica up on the stage. I want the chant to be true. I want the chant to be true just because 
I want to hear it. Yeah. And <laughs> if it is not true, I think Dan should make it up to us by performing his interpretation of a Gregorian chant version <laughs> of Philadelphia. Okay. So you're going with Brian De Palma being I'm untrue? I'm going for Brian De Palma not being true. I'm guessing it may be a famous director, but not De Palma. Yeah. It just doesn't seem his I style. Think, I was thinking something weird like Scorsese or something like that. Scorsese did bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and didn't he do a Rolling Stones video? Or I did a well? Rolling Stones documentary, yeah. He's done a lot of music stuff, actually. Yeah. Scorsese is a big, big music fan. Yeah, Brian De Palma being yes. untrue for all of us, I think. Yes. Brian De Palma is true. Oh. And it's uh, he directed it, and it's not his only music video. He also did Relax for Frankie Goes to Hollywood. <laughs> I don't, Godly and Creme did Two Tribes. I don't know mm. who did Relax. Brian De Palma it was directed, Brian De Palma. Brian De Palma <laughs> directed the home erotic video to Relax, Don't Do It. Apparently. By Frankie. That's, that's... I'm sure I would have heard that. Yeah, according to his IMDb. The Gregorian chant is also true. So Yay! Off you go. Which means... <laughs> yeah, if there's Wi-Fi, I'll play it for you. It's from the German band Gregorian and appears on their album Masters of Chant, Chapter 8. I have Wi-Fi, you may connect and then you may proceed. But you. we insist you do it first. Yes. Uh, the untrue one is the... <laughs> Hang on, sorry. Hang on. No, don't charge the edges I need a choir. <laughs> so you'd all have to join in. We'll do I that. was cold and barren hours. Something, something. I don't know the words to Philadelphia. That was not bad, but uh, more enunciation. It's they sort of have that kind of voice in it, and it doesn't work at all. But uh, okay. it's quite entertaining to listen to. I was bruised and battered. I couldn't tell what I felt. I was unrecognizable to myself I saw my reflection in a window I didn't know my own face Oh brother, are you gonna leave me Wasting away on the streets of Philadelphia? The untrue one is the one dollar charge for the wrestler Uh, He actually gave them it for free (laughs) Okay. <laughs> Apparently because he is friends with Mickey Rourke huh? I don't know how they Someone's met Someone's got to be yeah. I don't know the nature of the friendship But he uh, played the song for Rourke and Aronofsky They liked it, wanted to use it in the film So we just gave it to them mm. Yeah. What a nice he's guy a, He's a nice guy, Bruce <laughs> Philadelphia is a terrible film I just throw that out there A purpose of nothing <laughs> Really don't like it <laughs> I love the song, hate the film yeah, uh, the video for Streets of Philadelphia was directed by the director of the film as well, Jonathan Demme. Oh. Um, and I think Tom Hanks is somewhere in the music video. Mm. Mm. Okay, uh, my film buff or film bluff is about movie code names. So often when movies are being shot, they are shrouded in secrecy and so they are given an alternative name. So I've made up one of these code names, but two of them are genuine. So the first one. Rory's first kiss is the code name for The Dark Knight. Corporate Headquarters is the code name for Fight Club. And Bigfoot is the code name for Ant Man. Uh, the third one's the one I'm less sure about. But oh, that was the one I was more sure about. <laughs> I I didn't know. I don't know whether Fight Club at the time would have been a big enough production to require a code name. Yeah, it's well, it's based on the book, so. Around that. I think Ant-Man had such a long convoluted development process 
that by the time they got to filming it, probably any code name was long gone. <laughs> I haven't heard that. I, I'm pretty sure I've heard Rory's first kiss. I the think Dark so Knight. as that well. Rings, mm. uh, rings a bell. Yeah, and Marvel do do code names for their films because Avengers was famously called Group Hug. Yep. As a a code <laughs> title. Put that one in, but I thought you might know that one. Yeah. Um, so and it wouldn't be unusual. The for... Most famous of these is Blue Harvest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, Star Wars. Empire yeah. Strikes Back. Yeah. The upcoming solo is called Red Cup hmm. as a code name. Um, so I'm going to go with the middle one. Corporate headquarters. Corporate headquarters. I have a vague idea. I've heard that one, but I could be wrong. I'm going to go with uh, Bigfoot. I'm going to go with Bigfoot. Uh, no, Bigfoot was the codename for Ant-Man. Oh. And Rory's First Kiss was the codename for The Dark Knight. Fight Club did not have a, a codename. You're absolutely correct. Um, corporate Headquarters was the codename for Star Trek. Ah, maybe that's where I've heard it. But I, I threw Corporate Headquarters in because it was obviously about taking down the establishment, a.k.a. Starbucks. Hmm. Okay, uh, mine are all about The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. God, I'm not going to know any of this. <laughs> Hazel, you have a shameful gap there. I you definitely need do. to yeah. watch and or read. Or listen. Mm. Yeah, actually read or read or listen. Oh, you can watch the TV show, the TV though it's shows, a bit yeah. cronky now, but don't bother with the movie. I saw the, I saw the movie in Latvia. Mm. I, was, I was stuck waiting for a plane in Latvia, so I went to the cinema to see Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And um, the only time the Latvian audience laughed throughout the entire film was when a sheep exploded. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I haven't seen it with a Latvian audience, but I, I, do, quite like, I do quite like the film. It's, it's something I can put on in the background and not pay all that much attention to and quite enjoy. But I, I took a hatred. It's like they've just gutted all the interesting fun bits out of it. So... The, the example is at the beginning where the bulldozer comes to mm-hmm. knock the house down and there's a bit about how the plans were in a basement and there's that lovely bit of dialogue about how hidden it was and everything which plays off later again when they're destroying the earth and all that's out of there and it's just like, oh, did you not see the plans? And it's like, no, I didn't. Oh, they were in your local office. Oh, okay. And it's like they've taken the beats of the plot but all the unusual fun bits have just been... Yeah, it doesn't ha- it doesn't have any of the Douglas Adamsiness, yeah. but if yeah. you've read yeah. the book, you at least have that in your head while you're watching it, or at least I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other problem with the movie is that by that time you've probably listened to two versions of the radio show, possibly an audio book, one read by Douglas Adams, one read by someone else, uh, and read the books. So you have yeah. heard that story many times. Yeah, by it's that weird. Point. You're overly familiar with it, but then you're not. Uh, yeah, it's strange. Mm-hmm. But I I think I've read the five books that Adams wrote. And lost track of them more and more with each one. By book five, I had no idea what was mm-hmm. going on. I've listened to the radio series of book six, and it's enjoyable, but you can't follow it like you can follow the story of the first mm-hmm. three books. And even the sort of asides and footnotes, I find a little convoluted. Book six wasn't written by him, was it, though? Owen no, Colfer. Owen Colfer, yeah. yeah. So you, Hazel, are completely Oblivious Hitchhiker's Virgin. What would be interesting then? would be for you to watch the film without all that baggage uh-huh, yeah. of the other versions and let us know I how it works just as a... I don't know, I kind of wanted to have a better experience yeah. than watching the film. <laughs> you, can watch the, yeah. you can watch the film and then read the book and 
you'll still appreciate but, the book. But it'll, it'll all be tarnished for you I by that point. I think we should just <laughs> experiment cruelly on her. <laughs> <laughs> Are you likely to watch, read or listen to them otherwise? Uh, no. And no harm done then. The TV series is hard work now, I think. I think it's still brilliant. I don't but agree with that. It's very, the effects it's are dated, very dated. Yeah, yeah. It's still funny. Anyway, you're a film buff of love. Douglas Adams was paid £1,065 for writing the first radio series. Zayford's TV head, which was pretty terrible, cost £3,000 to make. Marvin the Paranoid Android's chest plate was recycled for an instrument panel used in 1979 Bond movie Moonraker. Which is the buff? <laughs> which is the buff and which is the... If £3,000 was spent on that head, then somebody pocketed £2,900. <laughs> <laughs> Do we know when various things came? I don't know the, the dates. I know it's vaguely 70s, 80s, but... TV says it was early 80s, yeah. so it's about the right time. And it looks about right... They lost the body for Marvin. Didn't they? Yeah, um, there was a TV show a few years later, I think a copy uh, episode of the South Bank show, where they wrote some new material. And throughout the entire episode, they cut to like Ford Prefect and Marvin doing like a meta commentary on the documentary. And throughout the entire thing, Marvin is just the head. And then in a brown overcoat, like a pervert's flashing coat. More like, oh, was it my camera or something? That um, Jerry yeah. Anderson, dis- mm. private detective, was basically Marvin's head in a yeah. trench coat. £1,065 is a very specific amount. If it's 1064 I will come over there and bump you in the head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think no, whether... I, I wouldn't do that. I don't think that's fair. <laughs> I'm trying to think whether 1065 is some hitchhiker's number, like 42 which is the only thing I know about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, is that the meaning of life is the number 42. But what is the question? Yeah, it's the ultimate answer to life, the universe and everything. Right. But they just don't know the question. Don't torment the Deep. person who hasn't watched Hitchhiker's Guide <laughs> to the Galaxy. <laughs> um, I think the Moonraker thing is true. Because it looks like a background prop from a Bond film. I'll go with Zafar's head. I think that's true. I'll go for £1,065 being wrong. Yeah. And Hazel, would you like to guess? Um, Which is obviously a wild guess. It is. a Well, I just, I, yeah, the Moonraker, I just feel like that's true. So I'm going to agree with John for a change. Okay. Uh, you're all wrong. Oh. <laughs> the fake one is Moonraker. Ugh. It's oh. actually used in Alien. Really? Yeah. Oh, Ian would have got that. <laughs> he got an advance of £3,000 for the novel. But Douglas Adams was always famously late for everything he did. And in the end, John Lloyd had to basically write at least half of the last two episodes of the series. <laughs> I, I saw John Lloyd in Edinburgh last year, walking down the Royal Mile. I was flying our show and the person next to me was flying a show that I was describing as Milton Jones meets Blackadder. And um, John Lloyd went to take a flyer off him. And this guy was trying to tell him about Blackadder and how his show was like Blackadder. <laughs> And after about 30 seconds, I had to intervene and say, oh, because I'd, I'd just been chatting to him. He was actually a really, really nice guy. I recognised him and he, he talked about our show and took a flyer, didn't come. Um, <laughs> this guy was kind of embarrassing himself a bit. So I kind of said to him, oh, this is John Lloyd. And he didn't know who and that he is, said, so I'm guessing. And he went, oh, what did you do? And John <laughs> Lloyd went, oh, amongst other things, I produced Blackadder. This bloke just shrank to about a third of the size. <laughs> I think John Lloyd wrote a lot more of Hitchhikers than he was credited for. Yes. I think it's, I think it's a little bit of a sore point with him in interviews and so on. Like, 
uh, I think particularly the second radio series he did a lot of work on. Uh, Douglas Adams obviously took a lot of the credit, but was also, as you say, notoriously late. Like, not probably not starting a word until the entire thing was supposed to be due. Yeah. But also, was he not one of the, the first people in the UK to own an Apple computer? He was, yes. Yeah. He first was the or second. He was the first, and Stephen Fry was the second, mm-hmm. I think. Mm. John, do you have a film buff or film bluff? I do. We talked earlier about the modern cinematic masterpiece that is Titanic 2. Oh, God. Now, this led me to look at some other asylum films. So what I have for you is three asylum films Mm. with their name and their tagline or plot outline. Two of them are real. One of them I have made up. (laughs) Can you guess which is the fake asylum film? (laughs) Okay. Number one, Bionic Back Mountain. (laughs) Tagline. When two robot cowboys at a Wild West-themed amusement park fall in love, their feelings for each other lead to self-awareness, but will it ultimately lead to war against mankind? It's appalling. Number two, Transmorphers. When mechanical murder machines have taken over the Earth, only a ragtag gang of good-looking freedom fighters can save the day. I'm pretty sure that one's true. And finally, number three... Nazis at the centre of the earth. A group of scientists are captured by the infamous Nazi war criminal Dr Mengele and taken into his lair, where he has been using twisted experiments to keep his decaying followers alive. So the choices are Nazis at the centre of the earth, Transformers or Bionic Back Mountain. Um, but tra- Transmorphers is definitely you true. Can ask me, I'm yeah, sure you Transformers can ask me any questions is, about these yeah. films because obviously I have seen none of them. <laughs> Um, Yeah, yeah, Bionic Back Mountain seems... The Asylum normally riff on either Nazis or big blockbuster films like Atlantic Rim and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Ideally as well, they want someone to get confused and accidentally buy their movie is what what you tend to get the idea of. Well, I think it's their attempt at crossover because they did like Shark versus Octopus and... Two-headed shark versus megalodon and that sort of thing. Yeah, but robot robot cowboys just doesn't have giant sharks mm. or giant anything. Mm. I, that's yeah. Yeah. I, I believe yeah. the Nazis yeah. at the center of the year sounds the sort of thing. Well, the, they D- would the do. DVD for Bionic Back Mountain looks very much like the Westworld poster, but the cowboys are holding hands. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, the one with the robots. Bionic yes. Back Mountain. That sounds that's like one, one you've I made up. Believe you've made no, up. I think he made up the Nazis one. Um, I'm afraid uh, Hazel is wrong. Oh. Bionic <laughs> Back Mountain, the story of two gay robot cowboys, is, <laughs> is entirely made up by me. Whereas, unfortunately, Transmorphers and Nazis at the Centre of the Earth are real films. Mm. Transmorphers probably isn't that bad. Have you when... seen it? No, but I've seen all the Transformers films. <laughs> you just mean relatively? Yeah, proportionally speaking, yeah. How about we're, we're going to do a mastermind quiz, um, or we're going to do like, what? What do we call it? Nerdery of the mastermind. Master nerdery of the mind master. Nerdery mind. Yeah. So maybe we should just call it something different every single time. <laughs> <Yeah. that's> it. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to do nerdery of the mastermind in a bit. So I wonder if the punishment should be to watch Transmorphers. Ah. Whoever loses. Oh. Other asylum oh. films are. Oh, there's also Transmorphers: Fall of Man. Grim Avengers. And that's Brothers Grim as well, isn't it? That is the Brothers Grim and the Avengers. Alien vs. Hunter. 
paranormal entity, the Terminators. This just not even bothered to change the title of all there. Age of the Hobbits, the Da Vinci Treasure, the Day the Earth Stopped, Sunday School Musical, and the 18 year old virgin, which is less than <laughs> <laughs> the 40 year old wow. virgin. Surely, Sunday School Musical is just going to be lots of choir songs. Possibly, yeah. I think it's a religious high school musical. So, if you want to know any asylum titles to avoid, actually, the, 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 all of them. The guy who is the head of asylum follows us on Twitter. So hopefully he doesn't listen to this. A fine, respectable film studio with an excellent output. Uh, please sponsor us. But now we're just waiting for Bionic Back Mountain. <laughs> I want royalties. And now it's time for God knows nerdery master of the mind, master mastery of the nerd. Quiz title from earlier in the episode I can't remember Nerdy stuff Nerdy quiz Right, okay So um, in this John and Dan have both got specialist subjects And I have devised a quiz just for them Dan, I'm going to put you in in the hot seat I got it right first (laughs) (laughs) Can I not go under the hot seat? (laughs) I am sat with a lighter at Dan's bum (laughs) Not for the first time yeah, you've been watching too much Bionic Back Mountain, John. <laughs> Dan, would you like to explain what your specialist subject is and why? Yes, my specialist subject is Star Wars because I like Star Wars. You're in a dictionary on Star Wars, basically. We'll find out. Yeah. Um, I'd also just like you to know that just because you beat me in the Harry Potter quiz has not had no impact <laughs> whatsoever on the types of questions I've devised. And the types of questions I've devised for John, no impact whatsoever. That I, looks genuinely nervous about <laughs> I don't. I don't stand a chance now. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready, Dan? No. <laughs> okay. In A New Hope, which planet does Leia say the rebel base is located? Dantooine. They're on Correct. Dantooine. Actually, Peter, can you keep score for me? Okay. Okay. Which actor, renowned for playing a Superman baddie, stars as Chancellor Valorum in The Phantom Menace? Terence Stamp. Neil before Valorum. Correct. (laughs) Which famous Star Wars shot is parodied when the valets in Ferris Bueller's Day Off jump the Ferrari over a speed bump? Which famous Star Wars shot? I'm trying to remember the scene from Ferris Bueller. Um, I watched that at Christmas time. I should know this. I'm going to have to pass because I'll just sit here for for (laughs) 10 minutes not being able to think of it. Okay. It's the entrance of the Star Destroyer in A New Hope. Okay. Question number four. It's sometimes called a crossbow, but what's the technical name for Chewie's weapon of choice? That would be a bowcaster. That's correct. Number five. Luke's call sign was changed from Red 5 to what? Yeah, he's, he's Red 5 throughout A New Hope because you see the original Red 5 get killed in Rogue One. Um, he's probably not Red Leader because that goes to Wedge. Let's make him Red 9. <laughs> Almost. Blue five. Ah. <laughs> uh, what monsters are Han and Chewie transporting when we catch up with them in A Force Awakens? They are hauling Rathtars. They are. Complete the following insult. Don't call me a mindless philosopher, you overweight glob of... What? Grease. Correct. Well done. Which Attack of the Clones character bangs his head in a knowing homage to A New Hope's most famous gaffe? 
that is probably 3PO when he's got that battle droid's body, maybe? Ah, uh, good guess. But no, it's actually Jango Fett. Uh. Question number nine. What does Luke look strong enough to pull the ears off, according to Han Solo? Princess Leia. <laughs> Thank you. Um, strong enough to pull the ears off a ear monster. <laughs> it's actually a Gundark. A Gundark. Yeah. Mm. They're known uh, for their ears. And finally, in the expanded universe, Luke Skywalker has a wife. What is her name? Her name is Mara Jade. Correct. Hey. <laughs> right, Peter, what's Dan's score at the end of that? The score is seven. Yeah, right. seven out of ten. Very good. You happy with that? Yeah, reasonably. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have known the ones I didn't know. John, you're up now. Are you ready? I am, yes. So what is your specialist subject and why? My specialist subject is the comedian Richard Herring, because I assumed you would do no more research than read the relatively short Wikipedia article <laughs> about him that I could then also research. <laughs> he's also he's also one of my favourite comedians. So right, is, that, is that true? That vicious slur on your researching abilities? Let's find out. <laughs> Question number one. What's the name of Richard Herring's second podcast in which he interviews some of the biggest names in comedy? Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. Correct. Name the 1991 radio show hosted by Chris Morris and Armando Inucci, uh, which Lee and Herring wrote material for. On the hour. Correct. How many episodes were there in the 2005 chat show Heads Up with Richard Herring, which had broadcast on the PokerZone <laughs> channel? Ten. Correct. See where this is going. Um, name three of the main actors from Herring's comedy drama, You Can Choose Your Friends. Oh, um, no. I, Richard Herring, Emma Kennedy. Not including Richard Herring. He's one of the main actors in it. Yeah, well, it's my quiz. I can only name one other anyway. Um, Emma Kennedy, I, I can't, can't name any others. So you've got uh, Claire Skinner, Rebecca Front, Sarah Jane Potts, Robert Dawes, Anton Rogers and Julia McKenzie, which you could have chosen. So that is incorrect. What was Herring's specialist subject on Celebrity Mastermind in his 2010 appearance? Vasputin. Correct. Raw, raw. <laughs> what is your favourite Richard Herring joke? <laughs> Um, Objection, Your Honour. <laughs> My favourite Richard Herring joke is, I'm a feminist, I think women should be treated as if they're equal. Correct. <laughs> Speaking of which, which uh, domestic abuse charity did Herring raise over £100,000 for by responding to anyone on Twitter who asked when International Men's Day was on International was Women's Day? Women's Refuge. Refuge, yep. What was the reason behind launching his show Hitler Moustache in 2009? He wanted to reclaim the Hitler moustache for comedians. It previously belonging to Charlie Chaplin. Correct. What was Herring's 2017 Edinburgh Fringe show called? Oh, Frigan 50. And what was his first ever show called in 1994? Richard Herring is fat. Correct. <laughs> so I think that's nine out of ten. Is that correct? Um, I got eight. <laughs> I think I only got. I got. And I think we should disqualify the favourite one, which brings it to seven all. Therefore, it's a draw. I think I only got one wrong there. I think you only got one wrong. Yeah, nine points against Dan's seven. Uh, Next time, with if uh, you want to take the challenge. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's. 
Um, Peter's going to write my questions. <laughs> Is he? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to write Dan's questions, though. Oh, no, no, you, won't. you don't get a second go. No, second I don't get go. a second go. No. Questions no, so, to which the answer is Dan. Yeah. So John, John and I have got to write questions for you and Peter then. Yeah. Yeah. So do we know what your subjects are? Mine is the West Wing. Big surprise. <laughs> Peter? Uh, I, don't, I thought I'd do a general thing rather than a specific thing. like um, Questions sci- about anything. Like science fiction movies between 1970 and 1986 or something. That is quite specific. <laughs> Not that specific. <laughs> No, that's a good specialist subject. Right, I'll write the West Wing questions then. <laughs> okay. I'll teach you. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think this all the way through. I like Peter's questions. What year did Star Wars come out? You see? <laughs> it's very good. <laughs> What's your favourite film, since that's a legitimate question in this quiz? <laughs> What's your favourite Star Wars? The first one. Star Wars 1. Star Wars, the Star what Wars. The Phantom Menace. <laughs> no, the one that was just called Star Wars till recently. Well, not that recently. All right, stay tuned to the next episode for, uh, well, Dan's Revenge, I think. And finally, we have all been to see Infinity War and we're going to have a very spoilerific discussion of it now. So if you haven't seen the film, please do go and see it and then come back to the podcast when you have. The entire time I knew him, he only ever had one goal. To wipe out half the universe. If he gets all the Infinity Stones, he can do it with the snap of his fingers. Just like that. Tell me his name again. Thanos. So what did we all think to Infinity War? I liked it very much. I had to see it more than once, just because there's so much going on that on first viewing, it's a lot to take in. So going again helped me just to keep track of the story and enjoy it. It felt like a... A proper culmination of all of the things that had gone before it. So if you'd put the time in and watched lots of Marvel films in the lead up to this, you'd definitely get a lot more out of it than if you just saw this one. Did you come out of the cinema and then go straight back in? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I have been a few times, though. How many times have you seen it so far? Three. It's not bad. Yeah. Um, Ian and I have seen it once, but extremely uncomfortably. You went to a 4DX screening. We did, yeah. I mean, it was my fault in a way. We, we tried to book for two o'clock. Then we turned up at two and the movie had already started. So I go check my tickets and see it says one o'clock. Like, oh, no. So I go back, talk to the manager, persuade them to change our tickets and things. But the only thing they could change it to is a 4DX screening, which is when you see something in a theme park and they're moving around in the seat and they're spraying water at you and uh, smoke and all that sort of stuff. But the biggest problem was just where we were sat in the cinema. We ended up having to go right in the front row, looking up at the screen in a chair that's shaking you around. So in a fight scene, when it's throwing you around, it's, it's really not the way to watch a film. <laughs> I've also only seen it once, but I really, really enjoyed it. I think they did an amazing job of getting that many characters in it and nobody felt shortchanged. Yeah, everybody got at least a moment of being a hero or doing something really interesting. Apart from Hawkeye. Who got a mention? He got he got a mention, yeah. Whilst undeniably it's very difficult to do a film that does service to everyone all at once, it was like watching a greatest hits album mm. rather than a movie that exists in its own right. It was just like seeing little fragments of things. So that was maybe the only criticism I had yeah. of it. 
Um, I can see that. But from my limited comic book reading experience, those big ones where all of the Marvel heroes all get together to fight a massive threat, yeah. they feel a bit like that as well. Like there's so many characters in there. You see them on mm. occasional pages. But much like the film, the comics assume that you already know who everyone is mm-hmm. and they can just splash them all together and show you what happens. Hazel, you were, you were a bit less keen on it. What did you I, think? I was a bit whelmed, yeah, when I first went to see it. But I have heard that on second and third viewings, it, it gets better. And I think what I was doing was trying to analyse everything and kind of work out, oh, what does that mean? Or, or how does that fit together? Rather than just enjoying the film. Mm. So yeah, I do plan on going to see it several more times. But I think the very first scene where we see Thanos, uh, who for me was the best thing in the movie, if you had any preconceptions of him from the previous Marvel films of him like sitting on his throne and barking out orders, they immediately disappeared when he dispatched Loki in such horrific terms. I think the only thing that kind of left me a little bit cold was I, I didn't believe a couple of things. So I didn't believe the relationship between Scarlet Witch and Vision. And I didn't believe the ending. Um, so when these superheroes were being dispatched one after the other, um, none of them had an emotional impact on me apart from Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. I was just left feeling a little bit, I don't know, maybe undersold, but mm. I do definitely plan on going to see it another few you think times. They, they overplay their hand a bit with the ending with killing so many people Yeah, that it's obvious that they were coming back. Well, that's, which they killed as yeah. well, yeah. like that's, Spider-Man, for example. Yeah. What's interesting about a repeat viewing for me is the first time you watch it and that happens, you kind of go, oh, whoa. But on the repeat viewings, it's not a sense of, oh, this is obvious, they're coming back. It's intentionally obvious. It's a case of this has happened. How are the ones that are left going to get them back? Much like if you watched Return of the Jedi before you saw Empire Strikes Back and then you saw Empire Strikes Back, Han goes into Carbonite. I imagine watching Empire at the time you might not know if he was coming back, but if you already know he's coming back, it's a case of how you get to that point. And I think picking the really obvious ones is the filmmaker saying, look, we're not trying to swerve you by killing these guys off. Mm. This has happened. What our heroes now have to do is save them. Yeah. So it feels like that kind of cliffhanger midpoint ending yeah. rather than they're dead and they're gone forever. Honest, no, they're not. No. I don't think Marvel's even making a pretense of them being permanently dead, are they? I think the they're no. quite open. Yeah. Well, Spider-Man Homecoming 2 is already shooting, so... Yeah. <laughs> it's just a pile of dust, though, isn't it? It's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering how they're going to market this one in terms of the trailers. Like, what are they going to show? Yeah, yeah. because Sp- 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 Spidey 2 comes out a couple of months after Avengers 4, is that right? Um, yeah. I think so, yeah. So, uh, so, uh, Captain um, Marvel comes out a few months before it. Yeah. But then... Ant-Man and Captain Marvel are both set before... So we're going to have a thing where presumably before Avengers 4, we're going to get a trailer for Spidey 2. Yeah. And that's where they're going to have to be interesting in the marketing. Yeah, because that's the one that's got the tie-in with Sony as a company. Mm. And it's probably why they haven't really announced things like another Black Panther film or a Doctor Strange sequel or stuff that they might have in the pipeline. Mm -hmm. But Marvel know they can save that stuff. Yeah. But Sony are like, no, 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 we need Spider-Man. This Venom thing's not going down very well at all. We need Spider-Man. <laughs> um, you don't think Venom's going to go down well? It didn't go down very well with me. It looks a bit rubbish. <clears throat> There's already a perfectly good Venom film in Spider-Man. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> you couldn't even get that out without. <laughs> I couldn't even, no. <laughs> no. On the Vision and Scarlet Witch thing, mm. I, I am with you on that. It is a bit weird, but I've always found Vision a bit weird. I don't think it's a bit weird in real life that Paul Bettany is about 
25, 30 years older than, yeah, than her. I don't think we have to worry about it too much longer, though, because I think Vision is dead, dead. I think he's Possibly. Gone. I don't dead, think he is. I, I, think, I, th- I think Shuri can fix him. Yeah, maybe. Um, I'm going to do an Ian Mayer now. <laughs> um, there's a comic book arc when he is killed in the comics. He comes back as the white Vision, but with limited emotional... Yeah, Gandalf. very much, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think we saw at the end like a, a pale, faded He'd lost all vision. Of his colour, yeah. yeah, so I think we might get vision being fixed, but in a way really that upsets <laughs> some of the Olsen twins. <laughs> yeah, it's not one of the twins; it's their younger sister. He doesn't oh, care. I don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah. don't but I know. guess I guess the thing is, she's definitely the most powerful. Yeah. Of the Avengers, and he's the only one with similar kind of levels of power. So there's a bit of yeah. empathy there. They're a power couple. They are a power couple, (laughs) uh, wandering around Edinburgh as they do, which looked very good in the film. It did, yeah. It was very strange seeing all the places where particularly me and Dan have stood trying to foist flyers on disinterested people for most of August. (laughs) Yeah, and the way they were walking on Coburn Street in Edinburgh is just around the corner from a place that sells shawarma, which is a nice little Avengers 1 tie-in that obviously was not explored in the film, (laughs) but um, subtext. But Edinburgh Um, is never that quiet. No, I've walked I've walked along that street sort of nine o'clock at night and there's no one on it. And platform two after the nine o'clock train leaves. It's about right. I think you've only been at festival time. Yeah, possibly, yeah. 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 Go go on a Sunday night or first thing on a Monday morning. You walk down the Royal Mile and there's not a physical theatre group to be seen. It's like they all turn to dust or something. <laughs> that happens on the uh, bank holiday weekend at the end of August, doesn't it? <laughs> Half the Edinburgh performers turn to dust. I remember on regular trips up to Edinburgh, I would go up and see the green screens around and they added a couple of extra stalls and things like that. And it is just off platform two. If Edinburgh Waverley train station don't do Avengers tours after this, <laughs> I'll be very disappointed. <laughs> kind of like the Harry Potter thing at King's Cross. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. You could have a shield and pretend to be Captain America stepping out from the shadows and looking all heroic. Captain America and Tony Stark were probably two people on everyone's death list, like right at the top. And they were one of the only few who didn't get turned into dust. But I think I'm a little bit more worried for the people left behind than I am for the dust people. Some noble sacrifice maybe forthcoming. Yeah. Avengers I'd... fourth. Yeah. I think, yeah I think that's almost certain. Yeah. And, and the, it looks like they really want to focus on the original set of Avengers yeah, for the next That was an interesting thing more. in terms of who they killed. We, we've had this big genre galaxy spanning with them all in i i think avengers 4 is going to be very much more focused on the original avengers yeah because i think if captain america had died in infinity war it wouldn't have felt right because he wasn't the i guess the emotional weight of the movie he needed to have his moment and he was barely on screen he had about i don't know six or seven lines so the next movie um i think we'll spend more time with the originals hopefully thor Thor, Thor got quite a good showing in this one. He had he loads did. of uh, very cool moments. My favourite scene with Thor in was when he was recounting his family death history to Rockets. You know, like, this is my sister, my brother, my mum, my dad. And half his people. Half of his people, yeah. Well, presumably, that. we didn't see Valkyrie or Korg. I think I enjoyed the competitiveness between him and Chris yeah. Pratt's yeah. characters. I hope Korg's okay. And what was the other dude called? The little... Meek. Meek, Meek. yeah. He came back to life at the end of Ragnarok. Because everyone thought he was dead. And was like, oh. Yeah. The end, it kind of um, ruins the end of Ragnarok a little bit. You know, the conclusion of Ragnarok is he's saved some of his people. He's done this heroic sacrifice and his people are now on the way to safety. And then first two minutes of Avengers, fucked. Yeah, I think that, that just 
is a good way of making Thanos and the Black Order even more of a bunch of bastards mm-hmm. because you know what Thor's gone through to save the few people he's got left and then these guys just come in, don't care, and wipe out half of them anyway. While Ebony Moore is going around twinkling his fingers and talking about glorious honour and oh things while, like that. Whilst Thanos worked really well, I felt one of the weakest points was the sidekicks the for henchmen. Thanos. Yeah, they didn't seem really fleshed out much. Yeah, yeah. Talky one, Ebony, I liked. He was good. Is he the one who looked like he should be in Star Wars instead of Avengers? Yes, or um, who uh, Amy compared to Voldemort. Mm. Uh, he had that similar no-nose look. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> My villain's got no nose. <laughs> How does he smell? <laughs> Terrible. Hey! So who, who's Sean the most, do you think, in the film? Thanos. Yeah. I think uh, Zoe Saldana did a really good job mm. with Gamora. It was probably quite a tough sell because there was so much CG around anything emotional she was doing. Mm. But the idea of making Peter Quill promise to kill her, um, she attacking Thanos when he's using the reality stone and breaking down when she thinks she's done it and then finding out he's still alive and then being taken and then that. And I've seen people criticise her reaction when Thanos finds out that he's got to sacrifice something he loves Mm. to get the soul stone is a little bit too rubbing it in his face. But I I, I think... For me, at that point, she's undergone so much and it just feels like finally she's won or he's lost. And this outpouring of emotion and then she goes anyway. Um, I kind of don't want her to stay dead, but she sort of mm, probably should, should yeah. for, um, for that. But then Guardians 3 without her. Well, I think they'll replace her with Nebula. Yeah. Yeah, that would be my guess. So who do we think they'll bring in to the next movie that wasn't in this one? There's presumably Captain Marvel, who obviously is going to be a big part of it from the... Ant-Man. Ant-Man and Hawkeye. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think actually the next movie probably will open with Hawkeye watching uh, Velma from Scooby-Doo. No! No! (laughs) It's crumbled to dust. I was going to say Nick Fury, but he did go to dust, didn't he? He did. Yeah. Yeah. I laughed, but it played his death as a joke. The the motherfucker, then the... (laughs) So actually, arguably, though, you need a bit of a joke, don't you? Yeah, at I think that I, point, you had the whole credits to kind of take mm-hmm. in the no Tom Holland, no. But the fact that they're treating his death that lightly as a joke makes it explicit that this isn't a final death mm. for him, yeah. and therefore probably not for the yeah. other characters. But as as I say on repeat viewings, it's mm. it's super clear that it is a midpoint. It's mm-hmm. this isn't an end for, for any now. of the dusty yeah. ones. I think it's possible Loki will stay dead at least mm. through the next film, but then might perhaps be revived at some point in the future. Whereas, like I said, Heimdall will be dead, dead. I think they need to keep some people dead for it to have an emotional weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think most of the dead, dead people are probably coming in number four. Mm-hmm. Mm. So how are they going to fix this mess? Captain Marvel, she'll <laughs> save everyone. What are her powers? All the powers, I think. Are they? <laughs> Um, I'm sure Kevin Feige said in an interview that she is by far the most powerful hero they're introducing into the films in a kind of she can throw the moon into the sun level of mm. powerness. I think it's clear that Doctor Strange knows something that we don't um, in that there's like, oh, how many was it, 14 million ways in which Thanos wins and one in which we don't. And he says to Tony Stark before he disappears into dust, it was the only way, something like that. So, uh, yeah, there's some sort of plot that he knows that we don't it's probably something to do with the time stone yeah um i've seen a theory that all of the dusty people are 
not dead as such, but they are within the soul stone or something like that. Right. So when Thanos is defeated, you smash the Half stone. Half the universe and, is in, yeah. the soul, in the soul it, stone. It's an infinity stone. Quite small. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's, there's the clues in the name. Yeah. <laughs> we've got some timey-wimey going on, because we've seen yeah. Captain America in his original suit. And I think we've seen some stuff that they were filming that was at the Battle of New York from the first one. Yeah. So it seems like we might be getting a sort of recap of some Avengers and moments from the Although, past. Although one of the typical things of a story is there's always some element of going back to where you began. And if you're bringing back Captain America to his yeah. hero status, mm-hmm. perhaps that's why you're putting him yeah. back in his suit. Because he's been an outlaw for two years and presumably hasn't changed his suit in that time. So he could probably do with a clean one. <laughs> <laughs> what do we think to Thanos's uh, reason, motivations for clearing out half the universe in that? I think misguided is misguided. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen a lot of people try and add logic to it with a kind of, well, if there aren't enough resources, why doesn't he create more resources? Forgetting that Thanos is totally crazy. Mm-hmm. And not a nice man. He's yeah. not thinking along the lines of sense. He's decided this is his way of doing it. And nothing and no one is going to persuade him but otherwise. Isn't what he does because he saw his own planet basically laid waste because yeah. they didn't make the, a hard choice? Is that that's well, a layer his logic? to it. Yeah, but... he's, he's, he was vouching for killing off half the planet even then. Mm. And everyone else said, no, that's a horrible thing to do. Why can't we just do this, this and this? Uh Something bad happened anyway, so I think that's cemented in his mind. Killing half of everything is the only way to save anything. Yeah, there's a certain kind of Heath Ledger's Joker aspect to him in terms of when Michael Caine says uh, some men just want to watch the world burn. I think there's a mm. certain aspect to that because I, I just I think the the thing with Gamora kind of I I, I understood and it, I I think it definitely affected him, but he's still such a madman that he's willing to do that to sacrifice her for what he wants to achieve. So. Do you think he did the maths when he made, like, half the universe disappear? Because, like, if half the pilots on planes disappear, then there's hundreds of people on those planes <laughs> yeah. that are going to die. If, like, half the doctors who are doing emergency surgery on people suddenly disappear, that's another, you know, is, is, do you reckon he made, like, 45% disappear to account for rambling events and things <laughs> no. like that? Just I reckon he's such a badden, he mm. didn't think of all of the collateral damage, and he just... Did the snappy fingers thing, and so the fact like that other stuff was going to happen as a result of that doesn't enter into the equation because he's a mad I and bad. I think man. I read somewhere that the population of the world doubles something like every seventeen years or something. Mm. So arguably, he's going to have to do it all again in seventeen years. <laughs> and also, like if there's only half the number of people, there's only half the number of farmers, there's only half the number of labourers. So the the resources produced will probably also half and mm-hmm. be in the same position. H- hence my argument of. Don't try and apply sense to what he's trying to do because he's just a wrong'un. I think he should have just sat down with an economist beforehand (laughs) and a theoretical physicist who could have explained all this to him over a nice cup of tea. A nice cup of tea with Thanos, Avengers 4. And that would have been a... Doing a a shorter film. That could be a DVD extra for the uh, next movie. And like my dinner with Andre. He should have sat down with Doctor Strange because not only is Doctor Strange philosophical, we can also give him a beer that never stops refilling. So that would ah. that would persuade me <laughs> if, if I ever got the temptation to wipe out half the yeah. Um Yeah, Cumberbatch was quite good in the film. Like Doctor yes. Strange got a lot to do, and his origin film. I know some people who would put it among their top Marvels, but for most people, it's not so much. But it was quite necessary to allow him to do all of the 
magic-y, wagic-y mm-hmm. things that he does in yeah. this one and not have people go, whoa, where did all that come from? My favourite reincorporated joke was they're referring to them as wizards all the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was very funny. And I think the, uh, was it the uh, rabbit? Sweet rabbit. Sweet rabbit, yes. <laughs> uh, they also, I think they had to kill Doctor Strange off at the end to get rid of the obvious, well, he can just reverse time and make this all okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think Captain Marvel's going to come in and save the day. No? Because it's Avengers Because movie. it's Avengers, yeah, yeah. And I think it'd be a bit cheap to have a character kind of parachute in and save the day. Mm-hmm. I think obviously she'll be involved in some way, but I think it's going to come down to the original big four or five. Yeah. And then move on to a new generation. I thought Hulk's storyline in this was quite interesting in that he couldn't, well, Bruce Banner couldn't transform into the Hulk. I thought that was really interesting and obviously some manipulation going on with the trailer because we did see the Hulk uh, mm-hmm. running down that hill in Wakanda and he didn't manage to transform into the Hulk by that point. So whether that's a scene from this next one or whether it's just trickery, I don't know. But I thought the Hulk was kind of underused but also had a really interesting arc in this film. It must have been very disappointing for him seeing Scarlett Johansson after four or five years and not being able to perform. <laughs> What was it Tony Stark did? Like you had you had one job or like you've got one trick. In the yeah. of, oh, you're, you're, you're letting me down in front of all the bad guys. The Quit letting me look bad in front of the wizards. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I think that shot from the trailer may be an Avengers 4 shot. Again, it, but yeah. going back and seeing things replayed and done differently. Or it may be just one of the things they do to represent the film rather than the thing that's in the film. So yeah. These are all these heroes working together to try and solve mm. the problem. I'm sure I read somewhere there was a toy of the Hulk in the Hulkbuster armour so you could like push a button mm. and Hulk would burst out. So I'm wondering whether there was some re-editing. Maybe. Or just they thought it was better with the Hulk inside. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Like some of the jokes in Deadpool 2, I think, we, we haven't seen that yet. We're going to go and see that in a few days. But I'm worried that the best things I've already seen and yeah. in context of the film, they're not going to have as much effect. So I'm not going to watch trailers anymore. I'm, I'm worried about Deadpool 2. Going off topic for a sec- second, I'm getting kick-ass two vibes from it. Mm. Because the first one was pitched mm-hmm. really well, and kick-ass two just felt like someone who missed the point. Yeah, I've, I don't know, I'm getting a little bit of that same vibe that it's maybe going too self-aware yeah, or too the, aware of yeah. what was so, successful in the first one. Though, yeah, and you were so right about Black Panther. I, 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 I was. <laughs> still, uh, I, I, if you if you're James Cameron, you're going ah for the next week or so. <laughs> yeah. I can see where you're coming from because I think Deadpool one got its balance right, but could have very very easily gone too fourth wall breaking or too crude or too any of these other things. I did see an interview with Ryan Reynolds the other night where he said we're pushing everything further in mm-hmm. this one and. Like John says, I think Deadpool 1 had all of the clever meta stuff and all of the outrageous bits, but there was a nice, much more plain, conventional story underlying it as a foundation. Mm. And if they don't have that in this one, it could just be mm. crazy, eccentric, outrageous, rude, swears. Like most American comedy. <laughs> Potentially, yeah. yeah. But as someone who has sat through Kick-Ass 2, I don't want that from a Deadpool. <laughs> I know it sounds a weird analogy. If you remember the third Austin Powers film? Yeah. They just did more of everything they'd done in the previous ones and it just wasn't funny. Mm-hmm. Gold member was quite, quite funny though. Apparently they're making a fourth. Mm. Are they? Yeah, Mike Myers says it's a strong maybe. Do you know what they're also bringing back? Bill and Ted. Yes, Bill and mm-hmm. Ted 3 is a, I am looking forward to. Yeah. They will use their phone box to go and save the Avengers. 
It's a crossover. Ah. <laughs> Bill and Ted are in the MCU. Mm. You heard it here first. The problem is phone boxes aren't really a thing, so unless mm. you're having an affair or buying drugs, you've got no need to <laughs> use a public payphone. Well, the doctor uses a police box still, but has it got a cloaking device on yeah. it? Where's yeah. Ian McLaughlin when he needs a... The cloaking device is stuck. Yeah. Okay, so it is always a police box. Yeah. It's a comedian yeah. circuit. But the time stone is going to put us back about 30 years when phone boxes were in much more popular usage, so that's not a problem. <laughs> but you could start with them trying to find a phone box. The Avengers or Bill and Ted? Bill and Ted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're going to make the most excellent song, and then if they've got time, they're going to save the Avengers. Cool. Well, maybe that excellent song saves the Avengers. Oh. They are vaunted in the future as the saviours of everything. And now we know why. It is because they stopped Thanos. Ah, oh, this is like a crossover with Tenacious D. Yeah, wild stallions get the pick of destiny from Tenacious yeah. D to save the Avengers. Mm-hmm. And we can maybe work Star Wars in that And he's just working himself up into an, an yeah. orgy frenzy of... So yeah. Every movie ever made is part of the same universe. Is that yes. how you see things? Disney own it all now. They could do that. Yes, that's true. Have you seen the theory that every TV show is in the same universe and it's all in a small child's head? <laughs> no. yeah, I've, seen, I've seen the one where loads and loads of shows are connected because of one policeman character who turns up in lots yeah. of Yeah, there's a TV show called... I think it's called St. Elsewhere. And in the last episode, you go out of the hospital, it's a snow globe, and then you go out again, and it's an autistic child who's looking and staring at the snow globe, and all the people in St. Elsewhere are different characters in this autistic boy's life. So it's revealed that basically all of St. Elsewhere is a fantasy that this autistic child had. But in St. Elsewhere, there's lots of crossovers with other TV shows. And from those crossovers, you can go from TV shows that crossed over with TV shows that crossed over said elsewhere and get a Venn diagram that eventually shows that every TV show takes place inside the head of an autistic oh, child. My head hurts. It's like the end of Men in Black with the aliens playing marbles Pretty much, with the universe. Yeah. But it just comes, I think it's, is it Detective Muntz who was in Homicide and then crossed over into Law and Order and then also he's played the character in about four or five different shows. He's in The X-Files. Is he in The Wire? I think he's in The Wire as well, yeah. So obviously they're all in the same universe. Half of whom have now been wiped out as well. Yeah. Because, because in fact, the next one's just going to be Bill. Just Bill. Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Bill's lonely adventure. <laughs> yeah, well, Captain Marvel, set in the 90s, that's around the time of Bogus Journey. Yeah. yeah. Just saying. I'm sticking to this theory. <laughs> and if you don't watch the trailers, you'll never know it's untrue until True. you see the film. Yeah. I think the ending of Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, the, the story of it is that they're going to go into the quantum realm mm. and find Michael Douglas's wife. Michelle Pfeiffer. Played by Michelle Pfeiffer, who disappeared into the quantum realm like 30 years ago. And apparently the, the story of the film is going to try and find her. So the entire film, they're going to go into the quantum realm, have lots of adventures, find Michelle Pfeiffer and save her and bring her back into the real world. And the last scene is she's going to come back and she's going to see Michael Douglas, her husband, for the first time in 30 years. The tear's going to come to eye. She's going to run towards him to give him a hug. And as she does, Michael Douglas just turns into a pile of dust. <laughs> Credits. He's not that old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're too far off there. If Michael Douglas turned into a pile of dust, how would we know? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think that's a good call. Yeah, yeah I think that'll mm-hmm. happen. Mm-hmm. So, uh, John, using your Marvel predicting powers... What's Hawkeye going to do in Avengers 4? Um, he's going to he's going to wake up. He's going to find Vilma's disappeared. He's going to go and wander around, realise that a creature that can destroy half the universe with a click of his fingers 
might not be an even match against the man with a bow and arrow. <laughs> and then hide, maybe maybe under a bench, under a bit of newspaper. Yeah. But if Thanos is laying waste to everybody and Hawkeye just gets a bow out, shoots him through the head with an arrow, killing him instantly, he would be the hero of all the heroes. He is the hero of all the heroes. Because that is who Nick Fury was going to meet in the post credit scene. They do say Clint's going to meet us at... Buh, 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 buh. Yeah. Ah. So they, they'd already called him up. Mm-hmm. Arrow to the head, Thanos dead, Hawkeye wins. <laughs> yeah, well, everyone else has gone to Wakanda, haven't they? <laughs> yeah. Or is in space. It's like Clint on the phone to Nick Fugan. How many of the superheroes did you call before you got to me? <laughs> 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 All right, should we score it? I'm going to give it nine Infinity Stones out of ten. Okay. I will... Give it eight and a half Infinity Stones out of ten because I can't make my mind up, but it would be in my top ten Marvels, not in my top five. Okay. I'm going to give it seven Infinity Stones out of ten for now, but I might change my mind in the next podcast when I have seen it again. But at the moment, it's seven. It's eight at the moment for me. Hmm. I'm actually going to give it four and a half because half of them disappeared. (laughs) 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 That is all we've got time for in this episode. Thank you very much indeed for listening. Remember, you can catch us on social media at Nerdfest UK across Twitter and Facebook. Got loads of discussions that we like to have on there, so please get involved. But until next time... What's happening? Peter? Dan? Hazel? Hazel? This is the only way. (laughs) John? Miss Burton, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to go. So you've left me to fight Thanos by myself. You motherfucker.